0: Welcome to Brand Aid, where we talk branding and business with some of the biggest names in the world. And today we've got Mark Randolph. Mark Mark is the co-founder of Netflix, but he's also a serial entrepreneur founding more than a half a dozen successful startups over the last four decades. He's an author, a coach, an investor, and most recently, a podcaster. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Tom. And hi, Griffin. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty chaotic recently. uh, One thing after another.
0: Well, we were talking before I heard you and Griff, you were on too. I heard you guys on clubhouse yesterday and Mark, you sounded great. You sounded like a pro. Well,
1: you know, I, I was, I was kind of not sure what to expect. I, I tend to be pretty dialed in about things. I kind of want to understand what the basic flow is going to be. If I'm going to be doing some mentoring session, I kind of want to understand that at least they're coming in with some specific questions. And I quickly gathered since I was doing this with Griffin, you know, and his friend Josh, that it probably wasn't going to go the way I expected it. But that's that's how you learn, you know, that's how you figure things out. You just plunge in and see what happens. And and it was fantastic. It was I don't know, it was chaotically chaotic, out of control, but really interesting and fun.
2: Yeah, I would agree completely. And especially when you add Michael to the mix, he has so many <laughs> that you do a clubhouse. It's supposed to be with one person and then it ends up being like five or six or 10 people. Um, so (laughs) it's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Who was the, who was the video, the, the gaming person he brought in?
2: Oh, he is a co-founder of Activision.
1: Yeah. So I'm starting to talk to Griffin about, um, you know, some of his e-gaming initiative stuff and, boom, in the room is the you know CEO of Activision or something like that. And then that conversation goes off in that direction. So really, really fantastic.
0: Well, that's cool about kind of the audience. Podcasting, you hit kind of a wide net all over the place, but it seems like Clubhouse, especially in the beginning when not everyone has an invite, I mean, I was looking through the attendees yesterday when you guys were talking, and you've got CEOs, you know, startup founders, head of marketing for like Nike and all these big companies. So you're you've got a very select group that you're talking to. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. It's kind of like a like
1: a party. You know, you're sitting there and engaged in this deep conversation with one or two people. Other people are hanging out listening. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, shit, Griffin. Hey, get over here. And you pull someone in. But especially when we were on with, with uh, Gruen, you know, he's like I can just picture him in the background feverishly working the contact list and going, who can I grab in? Who can I pull in? It's it's like it's like being on, I don't know, like Oprah or something like that, where all of a sudden here's the surprise guest and on they go. Really fun though.
0: Did you um how's the new podcast? I love the name That Will Never Work. Great name. How are you having fun? I listened to your first episode yesterday.
1: Oh, yeah, it's great. I mean, the thing is it's not anything particularly new because I've been mentoring, you know, rising entrepreneurs for my whole life, but in particular, since I left Netflix about 15 years ago, you know, people are always calling up and they're stuck on something. They want some advice. They want me to help get them through a certain uh, tough patch. But the thing that changed is that about a year ago, I began taping the calls. I mean, with their permission and everything like that. And that was this amazing learning thing for me because I realized I had to get good at figuring out in, you know, 40 minutes. What somebody was doing, what were they struggling with, and then more importantly, what could I do to help? How could I nudge them? How could I encourage them? How could I give them a slap or a knock or tough love if they needed it? And The cool thing was learning not just the technical aspects of how to make it better that way, more helpful, but I realized that when I played these for other people, they were interesting. I mean, they were entertaining. They were funny. Uh, People empathized with the entrepreneurs. They saw them having the same problems they were struggling with. And then the ultimate best thing is they were realizing the advice I was giving to these people could help them in whatever struggle they were having. And it's just been this really interesting thing because I expected I'd come in and the questions would be the same. They'd all be about the technical issues or about fundraising. And man, it is all over the place. Not just the nature of the problems, but the nature of the businesses. You know, one of the people, this one woman I spoke with, it was a pickup artist coach, you know, helping for 10 years, you know, doing these seminars to help men pick up women. And finally goes-
0: Griffin Johnson does not need that coach. He's got that figured out- Greg could probably also teach that
1: class. Yeah. Well, well, good. She can, she can learn a few tips from him. So, but yeah, she eventually goes, well, screw this. And she, uh, and then she changed to this business where she's kind of helping people establish more genuine connections and was looking for marketing help there. I mean, and a lot of the stuff isn't even what you consider business issues. It's like, I'm struggling with my co-founder. I have a board member who I think is trying to sabotage me or, I have a board meeting coming up. I've never even been to a board meeting and I have to run one. So it's been this all over the place, just amazing questions, amazing entrepreneurs. I'm, as you can probably tell from my enthusiasm, I'm really, I'm really enjoying it.
0: You know, you can tell, like you said, by your enthusiasm, I was listening to this. I was doing some homework and I'm thinking, what is Mark doing? Why bother? You know, Netflix has the IPO. I'm sure you did very well. You get out. Why do you bother coaching people? Why aren't you just on a beach somewhere hanging out?
1: Yeah, it's probably a legacy of when I started in this business, which was a long time ago. And back then, there was no such thing as an entrepreneur. I mean, there were, but certainly no one called it that. No one talked about it. And there sure as hell weren't college classes or even college majors. There weren't TV shows and movies. There wasn't. It wasn't glorified. And so I got into it and I'm going to use this term purposely for pure reasons. I got into it because I couldn't help it. I just would see these problems that needed to get solved. And then what drew me to it would maybe stick to it was that fun of the chase, the solving the unsolvable problem. I mean, the coming to work and sitting around with really smart people solving really tricky problems. And so the exits, you know, the, the fact that I was lucky enough to have economic success was not the purpose. So it wasn't like done, rung the bell, finished. I mean, listen, I live in, you know, I live in Silicon Valley and I have tons and tons of friends who have certainly gotten to the point. Believe me, they don't need to work again. Their kids don't need to work. Their grandkids don't need to work again. But, you know, listen, what success is, is getting to do what you like and getting to do the things that really challenge you and make you feel whole. And for a lot of people, and I'd put myself in that category, doing startups is it. What am I gonna do? Fucking play golf or something? I mean, the the, the fact that I can do what I get to do, that's the ultimate luxury. Um, but the difference is, you know, listen, when I finished Netflix, I was, you know, 45 or something like that. Not, not that that's that old, but I, I, and I had done six startups. Netflix was number six. And the thing that I wasn't quite sure I wanted to do was start another company and do the 7 by 24 grind again. But listen, it's in your blood. And I go, I can't walk away. And so despite the fact that I do think I help people. I will I'll conf- confess, since we're among friends, it's not altruistic. I mean, I this is my fix. It's my methadone for my startup addiction that I get to help people see some of the same success I've had. And that problem solving is what it's all about. And it's even more rewarding when you can help someone else get to that point.
2: Wow. I, uh, you know, Mike, we've, we've sat down and had a couple conversations, um, especially recently. I don't think you can get away from me right now, man. I'm <laughs> I, I looking at me, but, um, you know, as as a young founder and a young entrepreneur, um, it's nice to have people like you around me to help mentor and give me advice. But did you have anyone like that for you? Was there anyone that inspired you um, and helped you get into it? Absolutely.
1: And I'm going to tell you that story in 30 seconds. But first, one of the things, and just because I have spoken to you a bunch and I've spoken to Josh a bunch and I've spoken to Michael a bunch, I see this looming thing, which is that you guys are very focused right now on the economics of it. And That's perhaps rightfully so at this point in your life. And especially because you guys have been so incredibly smart about recognizing that the half-life of a social, of an influencer is, is short. Um, but you'll see there's an, there'll be an emptiness at some point that you, Once you've achieved a certain comfort, once you're not eating ramen every meal, once you're not living with five guys in a one bedroom apartment, um, there's got to be something else, which is the drive um, besides the economic piece. So um, I watch this happening and I go, sometimes I just want to, I'm not sure whether to shake you or encourage you. But in terms of who helped me, um, incredibly lucky that I bumped into in my life, three really, really good entrepreneurs. And it wasn't so much that they encouraged me or taught me, it's that they let me watch them. They let me be next to them. They let me see the way a really, really good entrepreneur makes decisions, um, how they treat people, how they prioritize their day. And some of it is so counterintuitive and the fact that you can see someone who you respect, who's obviously successful doing these things, breaks the habits. And I, I, listen, I'll, it's hard sometimes to wing off stories I haven't even told in 20 years. But I'll just give you this classic example that, we, um, one of the, the, the person I met was a guy named Peter Godfrey, actually, um, who was a founder of um, a bunch of companies. And I was working for him. We were, he had empowered me to start this mail order company and I was going through the process, you know, I was hiring the people, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was buying the equipment to do the order processing. And now, of course, you can do all that shit with Shopify and go up <laughs> to AWS and you're done in 10 seconds. Then you had to buy this half a million dollar box, install it in this huge closet with the fans and the power. And the, all, it was a big deal. Um, and he goes, what the fuck are you doing? And I go, well, we're putting in place the order processing. And he goes, why don't you just use like a contract fulfillment place? And I go, because they charge like 10 bucks an order. And our margins in each order are like $6. And he goes, yeah, but that's so much smarter to do it that way. Even though you lose money in every order, because we're going to gain the flexibility to figure out what works. Like, let's just do the thing which gives us the ability to get out And I went, oh shit, of course. And it was this insight. And of course, that was probably the beginning of this entire approach I have to starting companies and starting things, which is emphasis is on flexibility, emphasis is on the ability to quickly change, not optimizing, not making things repeatable and scalable too soon. But that's a lesson that you learn by watching and by getting a simple piece of advice. Um, And it's why the advice I give to people who always come to me and go, all right, Mark, I'm looking for a job and I'm trying to get this big high powered job. And I go, you are wasting your time. I go, all you want to do is find the smartest person you know who will take you seriously and do anything they ask. Sweep the floors, you know, lock up at night. Do whatever you can just to be in that room because you're gonna learn more that way than you are getting some job with a title and a bigger paycheck that really doesn't teach you anything.
2: Yeah. Wow. So for anyone, you know, of course, my audience is um, probably at the age where they're just now getting out of high school or coming into their first couple of years of college. So you would say, um, you know, when looking for jobs or looking for opportunities, it's and you were it's not about economics. It's just finding your way into the places that you can get the most job experience, essentially.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no question about it. People are so... God, so I feel so badly for the pressure that's on you and your peers, you know, about, oh, I've got to get this job and I've got to figure out what my passion is. And it's like, slow down. Like, you know, the, if you want to think what it's, when it's scary taking risks, try taking risks when you've got a mortgage and you've got kids in private school and you've got two car payments, then trying to start something is that's that's balls, you know, When you're your age, uh, that's the time to to mess it up. That's when you don't mind living five guys in a one bedroom apartment and eating ramen for every meal. Because God, listen, oh, boy, you got me on a roll now here, Griffin. Sorry about this. So I have my my kids went to um, a, a liberal arts school in the northeast. So I've been doing a lot of work with entrepreneur programs there. Now, my brother, he's an investment banker like a way up high in a big bank and he recruits at that school. And we joke that the two of us are fighting for people's souls. Like he's going there and trying to convince them to take these $100,000 summer internship programs. I'm trying to convince him to move to San Francisco and live five to an apartment and eat ramen. So he is a better armed in this battle than I am. But it is. It, I hate the fact that people have this pressure from their parents to be a doctor or a lawyer or something their parents perceive as the safe choice when their passion is, you know, listen. I, I guess I can be personal. My younger son He's really into music, really into music production. He he goes to Icon, you know, the school down in LA. Um, And he's he's just weaseling his way into getting jobs at studios, doing anything he can, just to kind of be in the room. And that's how you learn these things. And if you focus on, I need to get a high paying job, which is the title and some reputation, you miss out on the chance, like you said, just be there and start sucking it all up. And people know you. They'll get to know you. And so all of a sudden they're going, wow, there's an opportunity. They're looking around and they go, Oh shit, Griffin. I know you're underqualified, but I trust you. See if you can figure this shit out.
0: I just interviewed Michael Gruen for my other show and he was great. I mean, we, we don't have time to get into Michael's whole resume. It'll take up the rest of the show, but he was a young sports agent and we got to talking about that. I said, how did you even end up in the world at such a young age? He said, cause I was interested in it. So I went to the New Jersey Nets director of ticket sales and asked if he could teach me a little about the business. And I go, why him? He goes, Who the fuck's reaching out to the director of ticket sales? <laughs> Nobody. He goes, they're going to the CEO. They want to talk to the big agent. You know, no one's going to this guy, but I could learn a lot from him. And through him, I'll meet other people in the organization. I'll learn a little more about the business, which sounds like what your son's doing. You know, that's that's the attitude I think you have to have where I'm not going to start at the top. I wanna know who the director is in whatever business I'm looking at. I'm like, I can't get to the VP or anything yet, nor should I, right? I'm still trying to figure things out.
1: That's the point. You're just gonna learn the vocabulary. Like you go, I wanna be in this business, but I don't even know what the the hell everyone does. And you go (laughs) and you watch and you quickly realize, oh, that's what this person does. I don't want that, this is the job I want. And I know what they do and I hear them talking and I see what they do all day. That's that's where p- people go, I've found my passion. It does not come from reading a book, does not come from sitting in a classroom, it comes from actually, I mean, I got it could have been Barbara Corcoran or one of the, I mean, someone I was listening to a podcast, maybe not. And she was going, it's like trying on clothes. You know, you don't know what you're going to look good in. You got to go try a whole bunch of shit on. And same thing with, you know, finding a career. <laughs>
2: Dude, Yeah, I, um, it's funny because we're talking about kind of the steps of it all. And, um, it was crazy cause you know, I'm very fortunate and lucky that social media put me in such a great spot. But, um, with Michael, I just went from not doing any business, just being this influencer kid that I actually didn't even know what being an influencer was cause I never had social media growing up. So I just got the hang of what an influencer technically is. And I get thrown into the world of business and it's not like I went to, like, the bottom of the barrel, like, trying to figure it out. It was, like, you know, I'm talking to people like Mark and <laughs> Mark. <laughs> uh, John Radden, who was on there yesterday, like, it's just. Right to the top. Yeah, I went, and I, I didn't even know what was going on. Um, so, <laughs> that, I mean, I think that brings up another point, though. If you have a great opportunity, um, and I'm not talking about, like, actual, like, becoming high positions at banks and stuff. Like, this was all learning and just sitting in the back, not an actual job. But if you ever have the opportunity and you're scared to like dive into something, never, never do it. Because I, I, I picked up on it really fast. And I would say now most people don't even know that I had no clue what I was doing six months ago.
1: <laughs> it's, it, it's true in everything. I mean, I can't remember if we, if we talked about this before we came on live or, or after, but it's like, you know, you want to learn clubhouse. Well, you just fucking do it and you know you'll learn more you learn more in 10 minutes of doing something than you do in hundreds of hours of thinking about it it's it's a that lesson alone griffin that probably was the most valuable thing you've taken away from the entire experience is that don't be scared to do something you don't know how to do cuz believe me almost everyone else in the room feels the same way we're yeah. all underqualified
2: always everyone always is looking at others for for a solution like if you look in class back in the day, like I would, you know, sometimes you know the the, the questions to 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 answer, like in the answers, but you just look around the room to make sure you don't get the wrong, you don't you don't say it wrong and everyone judges you. But like at the end of the day, everyone's thinking the same thing. You know? My,
1: my, daughter, my daughter worked for this uh for worked for a sports team in Australia, believe it or not. Wow. Um so she's in these meetings. And she's one of the few females in the room, and certainly the only American—not just in the room, but just about in the whole league. And people would always get to some point in the conversation where they thought that because she was either a female or because she's the United States from the United States, which of course is a sports mecca, that she'd know the answer. And so they'd turn to her and ask her. And of course, in the back of her mind, just going, "I have no idea." And at first, she'd go, "I don't know." And after a while, she goes, "No, screw it. I'm just going to say whatever I think." And everyone would go, "Oh." okay, oh, good idea. And then they do it. <laughs> so It was kind of another thing, same thing, that same learning moment, which is like, everyone's uncertain. So it's the person who has the confidence to go, here's what I think that really rises up.
2: Yeah. Great point. It really is. Cause it, it gives, um, I, I see a lot of people, including, you know, me, but the, the small town mentality is always like, you know, you had a disadvantage because you weren't given the opportunity to be in the, in the banking or whatever you want to go into. Um, and I, and I think that people just never have the opportunity to realize that you just, if you just go for it and you put yourself in a position to like climb, climb the ladder to where you want to go, you just, you just have to be confident and eventually like people start catching on as long as you make good choices. But, um, It's really just like a a little bit of a mixture between confidence and like not being scared to, to go after it and like just go to the bottom and work your way up to the top. I mean, it's really a pretty simple formula whenever you actually break it down. It's just having the guts to do it.
1: Yep. Truer words, never spoken. Absolutely right.
0: You know, social media has made the world so small too. You know, if you're that if you're listening right now in Nebraska and you go, yeah, I'd love to be in L.A. and living it up with, you know, Griffin and the guys and, you know, investing in businesses, but I'm just stuck here in Nebraska. What am I going to do? Like I got a DM from a from a girl today and she wanted to know she's a uh, journalist major and she wants to know how to get into interviewing influencers, you know, kind of what I do. And I said, I gave her my email address. I said, shoot me an email. I'd be happy to, you know, share whatever I know. And I think a lot of people are like that. You know, I'm sure, Mark, you get this all the time, especially on Twitter. You know, if you're in Nebraska, you can, you know, try to reach Mark or you can try to reach Griffin. Now, the, they're, the chances are small that these big people will will see you, but you can maybe get to a VP. And, um, you know, a lot of people, I think most people are willing to help you out. That's what I've found.
1: Oh, it is so completely true. I mean, in fact, I think you, you don't necessarily need to go have it just be a, a, a lower level person. Most high level people are happy to have a cup of coffee with someone or happy to do a quick Zoom session with someone. If the person is not a dick, if the person <laughs> is um, straightforward, you know, this some people are just in your face and they're pushy and you go, why do I want to talk to this person? But someone who comes in and has demonstrated they've done a little bit of research, you know, I'd love to talk to you because I love what you're doing at fill in the blank. And I'm really interested in it because fill in the blank. And especially, I know that your perspective, because you did this thing three years ago, who's not going to want to help out a young person by saying, listen, let's hop on the phone and I'm I'm happy to call. If you're, you should, you can't be coming in transparently asking, wanting, I want a job, but- if you want just to pick someone's brain, if you want to understand what they do, how this fits, it's amazing how many, how often people will say yes. Um, it's it really, it really is quite, pretty remarkable.
2: Mark, Mark, I came in for a second because I heard you talking about people that are dicks, and I and I had to come off for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have let you in, man. <laughs> I don't. See, he's talk, I heard. I heard he was talking about dicks, and I was like, I'm in. No, I think Michael's planted
1: something on my phone. So every time I'm on one of these calls, all of a sudden, there he is. It's like this incredible, uh, that's the secret to his uh, connectedness.
2: I just wanted to come in and say what's up, but uh, I'll let you guys, I finished my last call early, but uh, I'll see you guys. Michael. <laughs> I'll brother. see you, Griff. Hey, buddy.
0: Griff, have you gotten into that too? I mean, I'm, I'm older now. So I, I kind of, get real pleasure out of it. When people I'm honored, when somebody asks me to, to help them or, you know, ask questions, do you, do you kind of experience the same thing? Or are you getting more into that? You know, when fans are, cause you're all big, you're big on investing now and you're always preaching that to your younger followers. Do, have you helped out? Or do you kind of respond to people who have questions and stuff?
2: Yeah. You know, I, obviously I can't get to all of them, but um, you know, I, I try to give back and do that as much as I can, especially like, um, like Mark was saying, if I see someone that genuinely done their research, like, uh, I don't respond to people that are just like, Hey, like, what should I invest? Like, Hey, like, what should I invest in? It's like, yo, like, you know, I have this amount of money. Like, I'm really looking to do something with it. And like, start getting into investing. What are some of the things that I could look into? Or like, what are some good com- like companies or stocks or whatever it may be? Um, if they show that, like, if they show effort, I'm willing to put in effort. So Um, that's how I feel about it. And I've, I, I get a thorough enjoyment out of, um, you know, helping people learn and education is a big part of who I am. So of course I, I always help people whenever, um, I see it and they show real interest.
1: It's, it's really a secret weapon in a way, you know, and certainly it's the reason that you and I are connected Griffin is that, uh, you know, Michael just sent out emails to people and people say, sure, I'll, I'll talk. You know, my, my, uh, my older son, who's an entrepreneur now, but you know, he, when he was in college, um, and I, I said, he goes, I want to do this. And I go, you, you, I want you to make sure you really understand what it is, what it means to be an entrepreneur. I need you to actually dig in and follow people and, and not just think it's working for a Google or Apple or something like that. But what he would do once he came here, he did an internship working with a teeny little startup so he could really watch a great CEO. And see what they do all day. But what he would do every day at lunch and every day after work is network. And he would just send out emails to everyone he could think of who are running startups and say, Hey, I'm working for this little startup and I would love just to have a few minutes to chat with you about what you're doing, what you're up to. And the hit rates probably not 100%, by no means, but it's 30%. And 30% is incredibly good. You know, if you want to get 10 meetings, that's only 30 outreaches. And uh, it really is. It's it's a pretty pretty cool thing. It is. It's but I I, I can sympathize with you, Griffin, because you do have a lot of people who know you, and I think one of the most powerful things about being a really great influencer is they don't just know you; they think they really know you. I mean, they feel very connected to you, and it's very hard to not be able to say um, to help people. And I certainly. Maybe if you figure that out, you could help me because I I get a lot of people now who are coming in and saying, I really would love to. I'm struggling with this. My company needs this. I'm struggling with my co-founder or whatever. And God, it just pains you not to be able to spend time with everybody.
0: Mark, do you use this? And Griff too, this question's for you too, because you have so many followers and so many people are coming at you. Is a podcast, it seems like a podcast is a good way to answer common questions or things you hear over and over again It's like hey bob in nebraska i can't answer your tweet right but listen to the podcast i'm going to go over exactly what you're asking yeah i think that
1: was one of the motivations is that it's it's reasonably scalable advice if i can use a technical term for it but you know i can give advice to one person but I can impact ideally tens of thousands of people with that exact same piece of advice and they can self-select in. And I think the cool thing I'm learning about podcasts and trying to figure out about podcasts is you've got to have this right blend of it being entertaining so that people want to listen to all of them and then select into the advice which resonates with them. Like when I was pitching my book, it was a very different book at first. It was much more of a self-help kind of book. And the editor was so smart and he goes, don't make this a you book, make it a me book. Meaning don't have every sentence be, what you should do is this. And then he goes, talk about what you did. And then they'll be along for the great ride, the great story. But believe me, when they see things you did that they recognize they could do too, they make the connection. And that's kind of I think, what you're looking for in the- uh, in the podcast. Is that, that's hopefully that scalability of, um, of advice.
2: Yeah, I agree. Mark, that's, I mean, that's why a lot of times you'll hear me like on the podcast, uh, when people are talking about their success or talking about their stories or whatever, I, I usually, after they're done talking try to break it down and, and make a connection that my audience, um, you know, can do with their age and at the time that they're in. So, You'll hear me a lot like, yeah, you know, for people in college or people in high school, like they can do this or they can do that. So, um, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm, really just here. This whole podcast for me is just to help people that want to listen and learn. So I always try to relate it back to the audience so they can make sense out of what's going on.
1: Yeah, I think that really is the, uh, the skill. It's how do you get how do you really have this connection with the audience? How, how do you make them get it? And how do you, someone when I, you know, I do a bunch of public speaking, which is another thing I went down the rabbit hole about. Um, And what they, the common advice is that, you know, people are never going to remember what you said, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. And so you're always trying to make those emotional connections with people to get them either inspired to try something or give them the courage to do something rather than teaching them step one, step two, step three, which of course they forget the minute um, they're
0: out of their seat. So how right. do you make? I, I've never heard that, but that makes sense. So how do you? Whether does it translate? Do you have the same attitude when you're speaking in public or at a conference or doing your podcast? Do you kind of take the same approach to reach them emotionally? And, and how do you do it?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's oh gosh, we could talk for a long time about this. So the first thing, and, and and listen, you know, Griffin has heard me say this before, but you know, my motto is why do something when you can overdo something. And so when I get hooked on something, I go so deep. Um, and when I started public speaking, it was one of those things which is bottomless, which is at first you're just trying to memorize, uh, be able to speak for 50 minutes, and then you begin going wait, how do I string this together? This is a message. But then you realize so much of it is the story. It's your body language. It's how you hold yourself. It's how you use your voice. But here's the, here's the kicker, is that we as humans are hardwired to resonate to storytelling. That has been the mode by which humans have communicated and preserved their species is by passing on knowledge. And it's been done in stories from back when we were sitting around the fire munching on Brontosaurus burgers or whatever the hell we we did back then. Um, And it's so it's tapping into a lot of that, which is why so much of when I do a keynote, it's stories. But it's stories- with a backbone behind them. Deeply thought about what's the point? What's the pacing? What are the emotional arcs of this whole story? And then when I wrote the book, that's the same thing, different medium. How do you do that in a when you have 11 hours with somebody or whatever it takes to read a book of that length? How do you weave, how do you create the emotional tensions and releases? How do you have the story arcs? How do you have the heroes and the villains? It's fascinating. Um, And now, of course, I'm going to have to figure out how to do that uh, on a podcast.
0: You know, Griffin has, and Griff, you do a great job of this, always bringing it back to the audience, because especially in a podcast, right, you're talking to one person in their car or at the gym on the treadmill with their headphones on. You're talking to one person. And in Griffin's audience's case, right, they're in high school or they're in college, um, one of the questions I always have is, if you're that person, you're a freshman at a community college somewhere, or you're, you know, senior in high school, and investing now and being an entrepreneur is, is is cool, you know, it's the cool thing to do, you know, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I have no idea what I want to do. I mean, do I want to buy a dry cleaner? Do I want to get into tech? You know, I, I'm not sure. What advice do you have for them? The uh, to,
1: oh gosh, that's a long, a long subject, but I, I'll give you a couple of quick things. Um, ideas for businesses come from, from, come from a lot of places and the people who I'd consider professionals at it, like myself, people in Silicon Valley, you know, look at new technologies and current trends and look at different business models we can apply to old problems, that kind of stuff. But the thing that anybody can do and including people, high school, whatever, um, is the looking for pain it's training yourself to kind of see the world as an imperfect place, which and constantly to be asking what's wrong. And then having that be the trigger for, I wonder if I could solve this in a new and different way. And once you've trained your mind, you can't turn that off. You will see problems everywhere. I mean, even so, listen, I I mean, I'm still using these, you know, wired earbuds. God, every single time I'm going. Why can't somebody please invent a better way to keep these things from getting tangled all the time? And of course, someone eventually came up with the Bluetooth ones. But there's—you'll bump into problems everywhere once you begin thinking about it. But what that allows you to do is to focus on the things you do know. I don't mean you don't need to solve malaria. Listen, you're in school. What problems are that you see your social life? What is, problems do you see with your after-school job? What problems do you see with the things you're buying? So you begin to get this huge range of possible things you can approach. Then the second one is you go, how can I match this to my skills? I don't want you to be in the hospital and go, gee, I wish the CAT scan device could be one third the size, because unless you've got 20 years of physics experience, you're not going to make a lot of progress on that one. But you know, a lot of these things you pick, you go, wow, I think I actually could solve this. And now, now here's the kicker, the last one. And again, I work with a lot of high school entrepreneurs. I look with a lot of university and college-age entrepreneurs. The biggest thing you have to do is figure out how to start, how to try something, how to do something, how to make something, how to build something. Because if you take this great idea you stumbled on, this problem you've seen, this possible solution, and you leave it in your head, well, that's pointless. You've got to take that next step and go, what can I do to begin to validate whether this idea is a real one or not? And that is what separates the people who can make these things happen from the ones who just dream about it. And then 10 years later go, oh, I had that idea. Well, goody for you. It's the people who actually get out and try something and begin that learning process that uh, are the ones who make shit happen. And you do not need Every excuse, I have heard them all. You do not need to be in Silicon Valley. You do not need to have a computer science degree or even a degree at all. Some of the best entrepreneurs I know did not go to college. Um, best, they're, they're not the A students. In fact, the best entrepreneurs are the B and the C students because they haven't had all their creativity squeezed out of them by the educational system. You do not need, you can be anywhere in the world. You just need to have the courage to take something and try it. So sorry for getting up my little soapbox there, but you touched on the thing that God, everyone has the ideas. You know, Everyone who's had the shower has, has the idea. You just got to fucking do something, you know?
2: Michael says, yeah, you know, everyone has great ideas. Great ideas are time for everyone. And that's why a lot of people think, you know, that you'd always be like, yo, I have like a million dollar idea. And like, I thought it was special because I'm like, wow, that would be such a cool thing to make. And then what you don't realize is there's probably already someone that thought of it and there's probably someone building it. <laughs> and if not, then why aren't you building it? And then the, the thing is, if you're not building it and you're not bringing it to life, then it doesn't really, it's a zero dollar idea. How about um, the
1: guys who were always saying like, oh, I can't tell you what my idea is because someone's going to steal it. <laughs> oh, oh my yeah. God. Gag <laughs> me.
2: Yeah trust me either someone already has your idea and they're not doing it or they don't care to do it. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, um, it's, it's funny how, you know, whenever you're growing up, you'd always say that, like, Oh, I don't want to tell anyone about my idea. Like, that's really good. Um, and the thing is, is those ideas are everywhere, everywhere, every single day I'm getting, even now people are, when it comes to pitching their, their companies, it's like, you know, there's, there's, Thousands and thousands of them every single day. Some work, some don't. You know, and there's a lot of great entrepreneurs that their first idea doesn't work, or their second idea, their third idea. Um, you know, and they might have a couple of failures, but that one company does. So it's just like ideas are everywhere.
1: Yeah, ideas don't count for shit. You know, I know there's that expression. You, you haven't, you're, you've been lucky to be spared it because you haven't sat in a lot of conference rooms yet. But there's that there's no such, we're going to brainstorm and there's no such thing as a bad idea. And I go, fuck you. They're, every idea is a bad idea. <laughs> and and once, as soon as we accept that, then we can begin moving on and go, these are all bad ideas. We got to pick which one we're going to start with. And this whole thing about someone going, they're going to steal my idea. The thing is, every single big company you ever meet the idea they have, which is working and making them successful is not the one they started with. So let someone steal the idea you started with. That was a loser. What made this person win was starting with that bad idea, but having the patience and the persistence to keep modifying it till it became a good idea.
2: Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing here for anyone listening. Um, you know, whenever you have a good idea, it's all about bringing it to life. You know, um, that's that's the key. Because there's, like I said, there's a, there's million dollar ideas every day, every single, every, every single entrepreneur thinks their idea is a million dollar idea and they're working on building it and whatever. So, um, you know, and, and people that ask, how, how do I start building it? Um, nobody actually ever knows the answer. They just dive into it and start looking to solve the problem. So, um, that's the key. That's the key. No one ever knows that the real answer, that's, that's the best, the best part and the beauty about uh, being an entrepreneur is everyone starts at the same place. Some are more confident about not knowing what they're doing, but no one knows what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> you
1: know, the, the alternate name, the alternate name for my book, you know, instead of being that will never work, the alternate name was, was going to be nobody knows anything because yep. that's my You're that's true. the other boy. I live that one every day. No one knows anything.
0: Well, well I that's think. Because-
2: that-
0: go ahead, Grip. I'm sorry.
2: Uh, I was I mean, going to say that's because hope whenever you're building something, uh, you're solving a problem that's never been solved before. Cause that's where you build real, real business. So the answer is hopefully no one knows what to do because that means you probably have a decent idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, Mark, you've got another. You're like Johnny Clubhouse. I mean, you've got another clubhouse to hop on in about, yeah. you know, fifteen, 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So we give you a little break now. Um, thank you so much for coming on, everyone. Check out that will never work podcast. And Mark, I saw this too. Um, if you're interested in coaching or possibly appearing on the podcast, Rich, go to uh, markrandolph.com/slash/apply. Is that how that works?
1: Yeah, basically. Look, or you can just call the one uh, eight 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 Mark Pod. M-A-R-C-P-O-D, and basically leave a message explaining what you're doing, who you are, what you're struggling with, and maybe you'll get a shot to either be on the podcast, or I am going to probably start doing That Will Never Work Live, either on Insta or on Clubhouse um, to see how, again, screw that one up wildly too, as I figure out that medium as well. So, but I, again, I, 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 I have more people who need help. So I want to try and figure out ways to help more people.
0: Well, that's, that's great. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Griff, you have anything to add?
2: No, I just want to say, Mark, you know, I, uh, I hope you're not tired of seeing my face yet. And I, I
0: <laughs> never
2: to get some great advice from you in the future. So I just want to say thanks for coming on and always, uh, responding to me and answering my questions.
1: I may have to stop following you on Insta just so I don't get Griffin fatigue. <laughs> don't don't anyone else follow that advice don't don't follow everyone
0: else follow everyone listening
1: (laughs) great all right guys this was really fun all right see you around all right take care